Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. My guest this week is Max Gonzalez. Max, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, let's get you to give a, a little bit of a background, what uh, your story, who you are just for everyone who's listening. Sure. So Max Gonzalez, and I'm an investor in multifamily real estate. I've been in the industry uh, for about 17 years. Started out my career as a broker, moved into acquisitions. Uh, most recently, um, I left the corporate world to pursue my own portfolio. Um, I placed um, large pots of capital um, into the market for some very large institutional partners. And it was a great run. I loved doing it. I learned an immense amount about the industry, about how capital flows down from some of the largest institutions down into the market, how a lot of those groups, you know, evaluate real estate, how they decide, you know, what qualifies for a particular return that they need based on a, a particular assets um, risk profile and, you know, and how they evaluate buying assets based on coupon. And, you know, and going through and having that corporate experience also, was great because it also really motivated me to say, hey, you know what, if you want to, if I want to build my own portfolio, you know, you can't do it working for, you know, a large organization, large, large organizations have fantastic training, they teach you an immense amount. Yeah. I mean, I've got some truly invaluable experience and some truly invaluable, um, and maybe invaluable is not the right word, um, but some relationships that, you know, I just couldn't put a dollar amount on oh, yeah. from having, you know, this, this experience with, um, with some really top level people within the industry. And, you know, the more recently decided to go uh, on my own, get my own investors, raise capital to do our own deals. And that's been an absolutely fantastically rewarding experience just on so many different levels. And, uh, and that's my introduction, you know, brief history. Um, I've probably transacted on a little over 3,200 units over the last four years. I've probably placed about 400 and a little over 430 million in the market. And, uh, and now uh, on my own, working on significantly smaller portions of uh, capital placement, which is, uh, which is great and something that, um, that I couldn't be happier about. So that's, that's my introduction for myself. That's awesome. So I don't know anything about doing this through, from the corporate side. Uh, maybe we'll tackle that a little bit and we'll move our way over to the solo side, just follow your story. But you talked about how these big corporations or whoever who's placing this money, um, do they evaluate the deals differently than uh, how you are doing it now, uh, doing it solo? The, you know, the, the real answer, I mean, in a, in a way, you know, the larger, larger groups, you know, they're going to have a particular capital partner and a lot of individuals when they're out in the market, we'll tell a broker, they'll say, broker say, well, what kind of assets do you buy? And, and you know, and the, um, the sponsor, the person buying deals will say, well, you know, we buy, we buy anything. And the answer is, is they probably don't. They probably buy a very specific type of asset and they buy a particular type of asset that's based on what their capital kind of allows them to purchase. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that, just in getting a little more, more granular is, you know, everything's available for a price. And most of us would say, oh, if this deal was cheap enough, I would in fact, you know, be willing to purchase it. But then we find out, you know, as we get into the bid process that the aggressive offers are the ones that really fit that particular um, assets, um, you know, return profile for what it would be if it's a core building, it's a newer build, something that has lower, uh, lower maintenance and, um, and magnitude of the scale in regards to how much work you're going to have to do to manage the building. It's going to have a lower return. If it's a, a more heavy lifting, it's a heavy value add, you know, expect a higher return. And those metrics are generally the same within the corporate world down, but they get more and more divided. 
And they get really divided because if you've got an institutional bucket of capital, whether it's a life insurance company, um, a pension fund, um, a credit union, um, maybe a high net worth, um, you know, family office that has, you know, hundred billion or something more, their diversification of their portfolio is significantly larger than just real estate. And they're risk adjusting the entire portfolio on more than just, you know, that one particular asset class. So if you take, I'll call it, we'll, we'll use a smaller number, but a hundred million dollars. Well, no, we will use a hundred billion because that's, that's about the size of the institutional, um, you know, portfolio size. And they're going to take 40% of that and they're going to allocate that towards stocks. They're going to take another 20% of that and they're going to allocate that towards bonds. And then they've got this other 40% they're going to allocate towards, I'll call it 30% in real estate and maybe another 10 towards alternative investments. But if you were to take that 30% real estate and expand it and look at it even closer, well, then you'd realize that they actually have a portfolio that's for multifamily, industrial, maybe mini storage, maybe ground up, you know, and, and depending on what experience level that particular group has, they're going to be able to decide how they want to deploy that capital. And their experience level is also going to say that they're not just going to place the money, but they're going to hire a fund manager to manage those individual accounts for them as well. So if you take the multifamily account and you expand that, well, then you might look at it and find out they've got a fund manager for the East Coast, a fund manager for the West Coast. And those might even be segmented further depending on the age of the asset and the profile of the building. So the value add fund manager might be different than the core plus fund or the core, the core fund manager, because those are different management styles. You know, the groups that are good at placing capital to buy a, an A-class building in a downtown metro market that's brand new is going to be a different type of capital structure and management profile than is a heavy value add that's going to be located in a tertiary market where they're going to have to go in and spend 15 to 20,000 per unit to get a 150 to $200 rent move on a, a particular multifamily unit. So those groups with how detailed they get and how they decide which particular fund managers they want to allocate capital, it's a very, very um, interesting, what I'll really describe as waterfall within the industry from you know the top level of money that comes down and how the top level groups of you know, the, these, uh, these institutions are not just looking at how much money they can make on their investments, but also how to risk adjust the returns. Because if you're a pension fund and you're saying, hey, we need to create annuity income for all of our pensioners for the rest of their lives, they care about growing the portfolio, but they care more. I don't know, if maybe more isn't probably the right term, but, but they care significantly about not losing any of that money. So they're going to say, hey, we're going to invest in this particular asset, and, but they want to really make sure that they're hedging their returns accordingly to make sure the portfolio is always growing with the risk-adjusted return. So the uh, so within you know how does that compare to you know doing things yeah. on the smaller side? On the smaller side, you know regular investors have the same kind of mentality. If I'm going to take a bigger risk, I'd like a higher return. Exactly. It's different in the sense um, for the individuals who are working on the deals, because when you're working for a large corporation, and this is something that I that I struggled with when I was, you know, in that world. And then on the outside have, have, this is what I've actually really loved, but on the corporate side, it felt for me very specifically that I was, uh, had stopped growing my knowledge base. And that's not totally true, but it became very, very um, siloed. You, you have one particular task, you have a job with an organization, you have to do that job. 
when you go on your own, you have to raise your own capital. You have to structure your own debt. You have to hire all your own construction crews. You have to do all of the tiny little things that, um, you know, really means you have to wear all these different hats. And I, I look forward to when we have, you know, enough staff to be able to go out and to be able to, to, uh, to delegate, you know, significantly more of those things too. But at the same time, it's been really uh, fantastically rewarding to have some, I'll call it just new skills under my belt that, you know, whenever anyone does a new venture, if you're, uh, if you're, if things are easy, you're not pushing yourself enough. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's been, uh, it's been great this year to really feel like, you know, I pushed a lot and actually had some fantastic achievements as a result. Cool. So going from having like basically being part of a huge team to creating your own team. Um, and you mentioned that you start by wearing a lot of the hats yourself. Well, how does your, how did your business develop went from leaving it? How many staff, what, what people work for people to bring so, in at the start? Yeah. So right now it's myself and one partner. Yeah. Um, we've had, we have a couple individuals that do some individual contract work for us that we've, um, you know, outsourced to make sure contract, that we have, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'll call it contract, uh, with, um, you know, dedicated hours Okay. and that's for, um, you know, some specific marketing pieces, um, some, you know, we have, um, people who go out to, you know, target the market for us. We've got partnerships with different guys in different markets to, you know, help allocate deals, you know, towards, you know, what we're doing and building. And that's, um, and that's something that, you know, I'll say we'll have a better handle on in about 12 months from now, once we have a better sense of how we're, um, how greased the tracks have been within any of those individual, um, I'll call it um, roles within an organization. And that's actually one thing that's been fantastic about the previous experiences is, is I, and I've realized this from working with a lot of guys where, you know, they try to do everything. And I don't want to do everything. In fact, I want to do as little as possible um, of all the things and be focused on, you know, what I'm good at specifically and oversee the other ones so that it's, it's more, uh, more managerial than um, having to really get into the weeds on email blasts or, you know, some particular little, um, uh, you know, niche sector of, of something. But the, uh, but as far as the scale goes, you know, it's, uh, it's got to be organic and also pushed a little bit, you know, both, um, you know, if groups start, decide that they want to just hire a bunch of staff right away, but don't actually have capacity or deals to be able to, to, you know, staff those particular roles, then, you know, you can end up having to eventually lay people off or, or not be, um, you know, incentivizing people well enough to do deals. Yeah. And yeah, and, and on the other side with, um, you know, the separation from the corporate world, and the, um, you know, private, I'll call it the private individual upstart of buying yeah. deals. You know, the pay is just totally different. And on the corporate side, you know, there's, there are groups that pay in equity, but there's a lot of other groups who don't. They pay in bonus. And as a result of the way they capitalize their deals, if their money's coming from some large institution, you know, they might not have a, a sidecar or an ability to actually take, uh, you know, employee dollars or, or some other investor to be able to put them into an asset. On my side, we can be wildly creative with, you know, structuring a deal. We can bring in investors. We can have brokers roll fees in. If um, I've had guys bring me deals in other markets and they're just um, individual solo guys, we can work with them to add them into the capital stack of a deal that they have found and have that be their sweat equity piece. And those things are things that have been <clears throat> truly great in regards to being able to uh, work with, um, just really be creative. I mean, real estate is such a creative market across the board. I mean, it's this industry that really is, um, is still this industry where whatever you negotiate with the seller of a deal, with the buyer of a deal, with your investors is what you can, is what you can make happen. 
And on the large side, that becomes harder. You know, it, it, it might not become harder um, at the biggest level because you are structuring those deals with those large partners. But on the institutional side, it becomes a little bit commoditized in regards to the assets, the returns. You know, there's a very um, there are market expect, uh, expected returns that people can um, that people kind of count on within the industry. And on the smaller side, for myself, you know, we structure what works for our investors. And that will become more defined in time, which I just recognize as organizations grow. Those are things that become uh, more identified. It's just the way of the way of things as things grow and, and get get bigger. But um, but it's uh, but the ability now for us to be able to you know pay people in ownership of deals is really fantastic. That's something that's just really great. Yeah. Um, so what are you? What are you, what are you guys looking at? So you you off the corporate world. You're looking. You say smaller. Like what is smaller? So, you know, smaller assets for us right now are anything between um, about 2 million up to about 20. And for the most part, we're focusing on deals between about 3 million up to 15. And we've got two deals in contract right now. Uh, one of them is a value add deal in the Phoenix market. It's a series of cottages that, um, that are all uh, no shared walls. And it's kind of a fantastic opportunity to go in and create these little casitas for the residents of this, uh, this community. And the other one that we're in contract in is a asset near um, UC Riverside in California. And that asset is really well located within what I'll call the path of development for the student population of, of Riverside. And uh, the building that we um, are in contract on, it's, it's run down, it's, it's got significant you know, issues that need to be addressed within um, the exterior of the asset. We need to have it, um, some proper gating created um, for some more security within the location because it's a transitioning area. Though there's also new buildings on the street that have already been reconverted, completely re, um, great. redesigned for student populations. Yeah. And this particular building um, really has an opportunity to do better than what it currently is. We've got an ability to get an extra unit out of it. It's a smaller property, it's about 16 units. Yeah. And, um, and that building uh, is one that um, I really think is actually both assets are going to be fantastic when they're actually completed. So we're, we're currently in process of doing capital raises for both. And, uh, and that's where we are. So the, the value add is mostly just fixing up, cleaning up, putting some fences on it, or is there any other? Uh, I mean, I mean, if you, to get granular with, uh, with the value add, you know, it's getting it secured. Um, there's, there's significant deferred maintenance for the exterior of the buildings. We'll probably go in and we've got a, about a $15,000 per unit interior budget uh, for the unit, uh, unit inside. Each of the units has a little patio in the backyard. And this particular building is a 16-unit um, asset um, that's comprised of a, um, a three, two, is, uh, one three-two unit and 15 one-bedroom, one-bath units. We're going to reconfigure it so that when it's done, it's three two-bedroom, one-bath units and 14 one-bedroom, one-bath units. So we're going to make two of the two of the units larger and add an additional one more. Okay. And that um, and that opportunity uh, to you know increase both the, the unit sizes and get an extra unit out of it and correct um, the deferred maintenance is going to give us an opportunity to to significantly increase the NOI of the property, which for what we do on my side, and I talked to a lot of guys in the industry, you know, some markets, the Phoenix market is a very price per unit focused market yeah. where, you know, there's so many trades that happen in that market and there's a lot of value add um, deals where, hey, I bought this deal for 150 a door, I'm selling it for 210 a door two years later because I did this business plan. Yeah. They might not pay attention to the cap rate very much. 
they do, but it's also something where people kind of recognize it's a little bit of trading um, units based on a price per unit analysis. And you have to make sure your, your cap rates work uh, very specifically for your debt and your debt service coverage, made, uh, debt service coverage to make sure you've got enough um, yield to cover those, those uh, bills. But in California, you know, it's a lot more of a um, cap rate market. People are buying annuity. And for this particular asset, you know, we're increasing the income of the asset significantly as a result of um, being able to increase collections at this particular building. And that's done through the renovation scope and making sure that we've got, you know, an extra unit to create an additional revenue stream and, and all of those other items, you know, the, the security, um, the landscaping, the interior unit renovation, the exterior unit renovation, all those things go into um, raising rents. I want to say about $300 over in place per unit. Yep. is what we're looking at. I'll have to get the actual yep. specific numbers out to, to, yep. um, to the exact number. So then the, the business plan is there to do a, a refi at six or sorry, at th year three and then a sale. Uh, well, I hear different things from different. Yeah. Syndicates. You know, those, you know, those options within, um, within the structuring of an asset, you know, we've got it underwritten right now for a five-year hold, which is going to be done on a bridge finance uh, where we'll most likely do um, a three-year interest only. And then at that time, most likely refinance. We don't underwrite the refinance because, hey, we don't know. Yeah. So, so we say instead, we know we're going to underwrite it for a, a you know three-year hold. But if we keep it for five, this is what the numbers look like. If we refinance it in three, the numbers look like this. So we'll have a couple of different scenarios for what that looks like with investors. And and one thing with any of the investors that we have um, that that we're working with is we always, you know, we look at our modeling and we say, hey, you know, here's what the model is, is showing. But we really remind people that we are investing in real estate and, you know, in a model that's not a crystal ball, it's a, it's a calculator that is used to be able to help make business decisions on real world data points. And in so doing, you know, we can show those numbers, but we always remind people, hey, you know, we're investing in assets. The investment horizon is looking like it's going to be between three and five years. We are always going to do what's in the best interest of you and your money. And, and you're going to hopefully receive, a, you know, I'll call it a between a 2.3 multiple on your money and a 2.6 multiple on your money within um, the horizon of the asset. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. That was my next question, how, how you were anticipating for the exit. Um, and then from the investor's side of this, um, uh, do, do you pay out, a, is the plan to pay out monthly, uh, quarterly? We, yeah, we, yeah, we like to pay out monthly. Yeah, we like to pay out monthly. And, um, and that actually, I would say, is a characteristic of also where we are in, um, in the building of, of the organization. We want our investors to know they got cash right away. Yeah, we care, you know, um, some groups, hey, you know, start doing quarterly distributions. And I think that's totally fine. I don't think anyone's hurting themselves by any means. Um, we are rapidly trying to let more investors know that we are out there and we are doing deals. And if you want to contact us to invest, please do, you know, and we want our investors telling their friends that they're doing well with us. So, you know, the more, the more times we can touch those investors with, um, you know, um, good news regarding, um, you know, cash flow of the asset and, you know, money in the bank account, the better. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good idea. And paying monthly does make it like if you're getting older people who are trying to live off this stuff, it is a lot easier to live oh, yeah. off. Of. Um, so you mentioned this. So um, if people are interested in this, what's is there? A, how do they track you down to uh, find yeah. out what's going on with your fund? Yeah, the best way is um, geometricre.com. We, we don't we don't have a fund. Uh, you know, okay. we do each we do each deal as an individual syndication. Yeah. Um, you know, down the road, you know, we could do a fund, but for the time being, you know, we just do one asset at a time, yep. but uh website is geometric, 
And we've got a, uh, you know, beginning investor starter uh, guide uh, that's on there. And that's been something where a lot of guys call me up and they want to get into the industry. And that particular guide is really designed to help people kind of see how many different sectors there are within the industry. You know, my focus is multifamily, but people don't realize how much money people make in entitlement, ground up development, uh, you know, uh, core assets, value add assets, uh, you know, core plus assets. And then that segments and those segments can also apply to, you know, multiple different product types from industrial to office to retail to um, even further divided, you know, topics like medical office or, you know, big box industrial or, you know, triple net retail. And, um, and we've got a starter guide to kind of help people kind of figure out where they might want to be. A lot of people who have, you know, W2 careers are, are, are actually somewhat touched to real estate already. They might not know it yet. But, you know, they live in a house, they might know some house on their street that could be flipped, maybe they, you know, work for a corporation that has, you know, some particular segment of, you know, real estate holdings, and they might know a little bit more about them than they realize, mm-hmm. you know, and I get a lot of guys who call me up um, to say, hey, you know, where do I start in the industry? If you want to start in multi, if you're anywhere in the country and you say, hey, you know what, I want to get involved, you know, reach out to me. I'd love it. Yeah. Uh, on the website, geometricre.com, um, we've got links to get in contact with me. And I'd love to have you know, conversations with anyone who's looking to invest, get into the industry. If you're in some market and you're saying, hey, I found this deal, but I don't know how to capitalize it. And I want to work with some guys who've done this, you know, reach out to me. Those are, those are, those are people who I love being in contact with. That's a great offer. Um, Mark or Max, Max, before I let you go. No, you're totally um, fine. <laughs> uh, but Max, before I let you go, um, is there any questions I should ask you that I, I kind of slipped by there? <laughs> no, you know, we've covered a lot. Uh, you know, if, um, if there's anything within any of the topics we've covered that you want to um, go into on a deeper level, you know, more than happy to jump on another call. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, happy sharing knowledge regarding, you know, um, whatever I can in regards to the space, you know, I love being network with people and, you know, sharing knowledge and being able to, you know, work with guys who are, um, who are hustling, you know, and that's, and that's what I like about, you know, the, the podcast community, the guys who are listening to these, you know, I mean, people who are taking the time to do self-education to figure out how to advance their careers are all people who I want to be networked with across the board. So, you know, if there's any time that, you know, you've got additional questions you want to discuss or go over, you know, reach out, love it. That's great. Thanks. Um, and thank you for offering that to everyone listening. Um, thank you for coming on the show, Max. I, I, it was a lot of information. There was a lot of information that I'll have to almost listen to it a second time to, to go through it all. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely, Glenn. Reach out anytime and we'll hopefully talk soon.